This is Headshots, a mind-blowing exploration of gaming and psychology. With your hosts, Josue Cardona, an engineer-turned-mental health and ed-tech guru, and psychologist and game scholar, Dr. Kelly Dunlap. So Kelly, I was doing some very complicated math, okay? Okay. For the show. Okay, well I'm and glad you're talking to me about it because I am a math expert. Okay, cool, cool. So so then you can double check my work. Yes. Um, I believe that with this episode, you've now been on half of the episodes of Headshots, despite this being your show. Is this correct? Uh, let me run the calculations real quick. And by calculations, I mean, yes, yes. Uh, so yes, that, that was the calculation song. And I, I do believe that is correct. This is, uh, I have been on half headshots. I have been on one hemisphere of headshots. Welcome back, Kelly. Thank you. So happy to be back and to to get back on track with this. Because I know this podcast is one that both you and I are super passionate about. And then I had a baby. So the passion is- It happens. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. Passion is still there. And I'm so stoked for today. And the topic that we're diving into. What are we talking about today, Kelly? We are talking about Depression Quest. Man, Depression Quest. What was it? What, what was it like for you the first time you heard about that game or played it? Well, I guess even before I dive in, I, I don't know whether I want to call it a trigger warning or a disclaimer. We're going to be talking about Depression Quest, so we're going to be talking about depression. So we might talk about things that are um, might have significant negative impact. So if you are squeamish or uh, have any kind of issue with that, just just be forewarned, that's kind of what we're going to talk about, uh, because Depression Quest is a game that was created to exemplify the experience of having depression, of living with depression. And the first time I played through it, I thought, wow, this is a lot of text. <laughs> I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> that was my first, that was my first reaction. How about you? Um, that was my reaction this morning when I when I replayed it. <laughs> um, I had forgotten how much how much text there can be. I mean, but with interactive fiction, which is the type of of, of genre I would put Depression Quest into, right? So something that you can make using Twine, for example, right? So interactive fiction. I mean, by design, right? That's kind of it. Doesn't need a, a wall of text at the beginning, right? But uh, but definitely Depression Quest. Requires a lot of reading, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I do remember just being blown away by the first time that you have options, you know. And even though you see options, they're not available to you. I remember that sticking with me to this day. You know, it's just such a smart way to show what it's like to to feel that way. You know, to be in that um, state. Yeah, I think that is definitely one of the most powerful aspects of Depression Quest, and we're going to dive into that mechanic a lot more deeply later on. But I think maybe the reason it didn't have the impact for me was I had heard about Depression Quest, and I'd already been flagged, like that particular mechanic had already been flagged for me, so it wasn't a surprise to see it when it happened. Um, um so that yeah, you know, I kind of I guess I had it spoiled in in that way, and whether or not that enhanced or decreased my experience, you can go back and listen to a previous Psych Tech episode where we talked about spoilers. But uh, uh, yeah, so <laughs> Depression Quest was uh, created by Zoe Quinn and a couple others. Uh, 
and it was the the content was kind of called from her personal experience, the experience of her co-developers and like friends and family. So they kind of took the experiences of a bunch of people and created this fictional fictitious character, and you're walking through his or her experience um, of of having depression. So I've actually uh, presented on Depression Quest, and I even wrote an academic paper about Depression Quest and how it uh, uses game mechanics to convey the sense of uh, psychological illness, uh, of well, depression. So I can't wait to dive into that. Did you have any other first blush uh, remembrances or things that stick out to you before we dive into the nitty gritty? No, no, no. I'll jump in as we, as we go through. It's just, um, I'm glad we're talking about it. All right. it should be talked about. Absolutely. So Depression Quest, like we mentioned, is an interact- piece of interactive fiction. It has 40,000 words, so it is it is more like a read-your-own-adventure ebook, really, than a, than a game, per se. I guess you could you could throw that out there. Came out a couple years ago. Uh, got famous for many reasons, but we won't, we won't go down that rabbit hole. The idea is that you play as a character who has depression. And one of the things that I noticed first off as a clinician is that the representation of depression is, I want to say mild, not in that the person isn't suffering, but mild in the sense that when you think of media portraying depression, you think about the extreme, you know, the, the Eeyore kind of figure, just the, the lump of sadness. Whereas this person at the start of the game, they're, they're feeling down, you know, they're not having the best go at life. But they're they're still functioning. They have a significant other. They talk with their parents. They have a job. So it's getting across this idea that's really important in psychology of functional depression. Sometimes uh, you can also refer to it as subsyndromal. So subsyndromal meaning the person has a lot of the symptoms of depression, but they don't quite meet the criterion cutoff set forth by the DSM, our our diagnostic bible. As you move through the story. Uh, you get to make choices. You you read through the paragraphs and then you're presented with choices. Uh, so something like stay in bed, you know, work through the night, you know, call your friend or, you know, just watch TV. And then the, as all interactive fiction does, the outcome of the next paragraph depends on the choice that you make. So if you click watch TV, then you're going to get an outcome that's related to to watching TV, which will be a different outcome than if you had clicked, you know, go to bed. And the interesting thing about Depression Quest that makes it unique and I don't want to say revolutionary because that's too strong a word, but definitely makes it stand out from other pieces of, of interactive fiction, especially ones that have covered mental health issues, is that some of your options get taken away. So the more depressed you get, the fewer options you have. And the reason you know this is because you'll still be presented with, say, six options, but let's say four of them will be crossed out so that you can't select them. And this really drives home the idea that when you are in a state of depression, you might know the right thing to do. You might logically, cognitively know that you should do X, but you just can't. You physically cannot do that thing, even though you maybe even know that that is the right thing to do. And I think for me, that was the most powerful part of Depression Quest playing through was there was an option that I wanted to pick and I wasn't allowed to pick it. Yeah, and and I I've seen it two ways depending on the the question. Sometimes I do see it as I know what the best option is and I cannot do it. I am just not capable of doing it right now. Um, doesn't matter how many times you tell me that that's the best thing for me. There's I just I just cannot. And 
but also I think there's there are times when you don't see the options. You know, you only see the other two. And I I've interpreted the 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 way that things are crossed out. Right. So you have you may have four options, and then again the first two are just red and have a line through them. So they're they're absolutely visible in the game. But sometimes I. I don't see it that way. Sometimes I see it as maybe, you know, you don't see that, that option. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many times in therapy, right, you're, you're working with someone and they, that aha moment is like, oh, wait, I never, I really didn't think about having that option. You know, you feel, and, and I think that's what the game does. It, you don't have the option in the game. Right. Because even if it is there, it might as well not be. Right. And I think it's the difference of seeing the game as the player in the moment and then abstracting as yourself, you know, whether yeah. those red lines are, are there or not. Uh, but definitely yeah. the, the core of there's something there and you can't do it, whether you're consciously aware of it or, or not. And I think that's the, the most powerful aspect of Depression Quest. Another really powerful part is that there's really no... There's no uh, good, quote unquote, good ending. You can pick all the quote unquote right answers, all the ones that are the most pro-social, proactive, uh, health oriented. And at the end of the game, I guess, spoilers, um, the, the best quote unquote outcome you can get is you're just working through it. You're seeing your therapist, you're on your medication, you've, I, I think you maintain your relationship, um, the relationship with your parents is better, but you're still struggling. So it it gets across this idea that you don't get cured from depression, or at least in this example, that you can do everything right, but you're still going to struggle. And this for me was kind of a point of contention where, and I know in my paper, I talked about it um, a little bit more extensively, but the idea that you can't recover from depression, I found to be really a turnoff about the game. So as excited as I was about the mechanic of not being able to make a selection, the idea that, you know, you can work really hard, but there's nothing you can do to quote unquote get cured. Um, I found to be somewhat kind of a downer, I guess, because people do recover from depression. You can be, you can have full remission, you can recover. Uh, especially if you're seeing your therapist and you're taking your medication and you're being social and you're you're following the recommendations, you can absolutely recover. Not everybody. It's one of the few. It's one of the few uh, disorders that we know we can actually, um, quote unquote, cure. Yeah, you you can fully you can return to your pre-depressed state of functioning. Like that's it is possible. Now, but the game doesn't actually say at the end that you can never cure depression, right? No, the game is, it doesn't say the that. The game is just a snapshot of, it's like a chapter in a person's life. It's not, that that takes place over the course of, I think a couple months, maybe, um, maybe a couple weeks, but it doesn't, you know, it's not like, there isn't a beginning and an end, a, a clear beginning and end. So I, I, I didn't have a problem with that. I think... I think there's enough information at the end where she talks about how, you know, like if, you know, if you if you feel like you need to talk to someone or, or if any of this resonates with you, you know, there's there's hotlines, there's helplines, there's there's different things that you can do to get help. So I never saw it as, um, or I I guess my question to you is, do you think that people might walk away from the game thinking that you can't get rid of depression? That's such a hard question to ask because I can't abstract myself from from what I know. 
yeah. which is, you know, I, it'd be really cool if I could. Yeah, maybe a new, <laughs> new episode of Black Mirror on removing your brain. It, it was just the feeling that I came away with. Like, I, the first time I played through, I wanted to see what the worst outcome was because that's what you do. But then when I played through again, I wanted to see if I could get, quote unquote, the best outcome. And when I couldn't, I even went out and did some research on, you know, what is the quote unquote best outcome and then finding out that it wasn't possible uh, to have something that was more than just, you know, I'm I'm continuing to struggle. Like it's getting a little bit better. It's not getting worse. So I can, de I definitely see your point now. I hadn't thought about it before of it just being a chapter in somebody's life. I thought about it more as like an overarching course of what the person was going through. But I can definitely understand your interpretation of it being, this is where I'm at right now. Maybe if there was a depression quest too, <laughs> um, that might've been a little bit clearer for me. But I, I guess it's it's tough when you feel like you do everything right and you still are struggling, which I guess is also kind of reflective. It evokes the feeling of depression where you feel like you're doing everything right, but you're still stuck. So the right on every page, right, there's on almost every page, you, you're reading through the story and you have those options. But after that, you have what would be the Depression Quest equivalent of a HUD or a status bar, right? And you see how depressed you are, whether or not you're speaking to a therapist and whether or not you're taking medication. And these are three bubbles that change every time you make a decision. And I really like the feedback loop of it. So even though, I mean, one of the fun things about interactive fiction games is that you can keep going forward or you can go back and see what the other option would have would have done. So, and, and Depression Quest is no different. So as you're going through it, you, you have these three different, um, again, like status bubbles. And as the status bubble for uh, depression continues to change, the even your outlook on your relationship with your therapist and medication changes. So the more depressed you are, the more... Um, the less motivated you are to go to therapy and the more negative you see the relationship and then medication the same way. So as you're getting less depressed, you feel that medication is actually helping you and that your relationship with your therapist uh, is constructive. And I think, let me see. So uh, the, the, the best possible outcome, right, I think, if I'm not wrong, this is the one that I got when I when I went through it earlier. For your depression, the last time you get that feedback bubble says, you are definitely still depressed, but things are getting better. Whatever you're doing seems to be working. You really feel like you're taking steps to affect positive change in your life. And I kind of like, I really like that frame. I don't know. I think it would have bothered me more if it said, congratulations, you cured depression. You're no longer <laughs> depressed. Right. Because... Right? It is a long process, and the game, there's a lot of text. There's a lot of reading, you know? And I think where it ends, it's it's good, right? Um, people are more likely to get to the end. And to see that, I think I, th that's why I like it so much, because it tells you, hey, all those things that you did, they, they affected. But let me, let me read the, in this particular um, screen, now that you, that's kind of where you are with the depression, your relationship with your doctor says, you seem to enjoy seeing your therapist. Between giving you a chance to talk about, uh, to talk things out and the CBT techniques she wants, uh, she shares with you, 
find your sessions, I'm sorry, it's just so small. You find your sessions extremely helpful. And the medication one says, you have been taking your medication regularly. And while you were skeptical at first, it's hard to argue with the fact that you're feeling better than you have in a long time. So that's kind of the end as far as the feedback that you get. And then you kind of see the, the epilogue, the, the end of the story for, for your character based on the decisions you made. And again, I think this is the best um, possible outcome. And earlier you said uh, that usually depression is kind of depicted as uh, Eeyore, right? Yeah. And, and at least the game gives you the option to, like we know what the healthiest options are among the, the ones that are available to us at any moment. And if we choose those, we get the best ending. But if you can do the opposite, right? You can play, you can do the Eeyore <laughs> way of playing and refuse to take medication and choose not to talk to anybody and choose to not leave the house and just break up with your girlfriend and, you know, do all of these different things that will obviously not provide the best outcome. But I think that the, uh, because the feedback is so uh immediate, right? The moment you hit that, on the next screen you see, this is where I'm at right now. This affected me in this way. I like it. Like I really, I really, really like what it's doing because I think it's very representative of what it's like in real life. And lots of people don't continue to go to therapy until, you know, until they're quote unquote cured. Many people will just stop at some point when they're feeling a little better. And that's that's not good, but it's it's reality. So I think it's a I think it does a great way. Uh, I think it's a great way of representing what many people really do experience throughout this process. I agree that the the feedback buttons there at the bottom are really important for the game. I think it to for the player to understand what's going on in the mind of the character and how their decisions are impacting the course of the character's um, months of of living. I think that's really important. On the other hand, I think that might be a little, that's one of the places that it diverges from reality, which is, again, it's, it's a game, artistic license, that's totally fine. But all I can think of is, you know, if the clients that I worked with were given that kind of constant feedback, you know, if you were depressed and seeing a therapist and, you know, every day you got a message saying, hey, you are less depressed today, you are feeling better about your therapist, but your medication doesn't seem to be working, that would... I think radically change how we address depression. So again, it, it, I'm not critiquing it as a game mechanic. I think it's really important, but I, I do think that it's one of the things about the game that is uh, more abstracted from reality or more abstracted from what the experience of having depression is like. Because one of the most difficult things to overcome with depression is getting out of that frame of mind that the world sucks and everything sucks. You know, but if you had that feedback, you know, you would have objective feedback telling you, actually, you know, you did better today. And that's what we do in therapy a lot is, hey, you know, let's take a look back at your mood chart. Let's take a look at, you know, whether you did your homework or not. And let's take a look at your journal. And so in therapy, it's usually, you know, only once a week that you're getting any kind of feedback. So, again. Which is a flaw in, in just the way that we do things. The feedback loop is way, way, way too slow. Yes. I, I think... Maybe a good way of putting it is if the feedback loop for therapy was more like the feedback loop in Depression Quest, we would probably be more effective at treating people with depression. I agree. I agree. That's one of the – oh, that's such a 
big area that I, I constantly think about. And and I know that there, there are ways around that. There are ways to do it. I mean, how many how many therapists even keep any sort of track of that really, you know, other than some sort of general self-report, right? Right. Um, I've, I've, I've worked in, in, in different ways, like pre and post surveys, um, um, mood check-ins, things like that. And, and I think that there are ways to do it. I think, uh, that's one of the, the ways and that's one of the ways in which reality is broken, right? That we don't have the kind of, uh, immediate feedback, but I think that we definitely can have better feedback that way. And what I like the most about those status bubbles is that even though it doesn't say it explicitly, the what's actually happening in the second and third bubbles doesn't change, but your perception of them changes depending on your level of depression. So even if you're taking the medication, just depending on how depressed you are affects how you see the the medicine helping you or not. Because you can be taking the medication, it's helping you, but you can still not believe that it's actually helping you. And kind of that idea that when you're when you're you know, when you have all these symptoms of depression, you feel I mean it affects every single area of your life and your perception is a big part of it. And you don't enjoy things and you don't you it's harder to have a positive outlook. It's harder to see how things are constructive or helpful. You feel hopeless, right? So even something that you're doing to help yourself, it just doesn't feel like it's helping. And and I like the way that, that those three things are connected in the game. And I don't know. I don't know. I think I think that's what makes it really, really special. And I think if therapy had better feedback loops, which again, it's possible to have that depending on your therapist. Uh I, I wish more people. I wish there was more um, feedback loops like that in in real therapy or in any kind of treatment. Really, I really, really do. Yeah, I mean, the, the ability to check in as a therapist and get feedback and it's it's invaluable. And I'm kind of thinking about our Fitbit episode and all the all the big data associated with it. But it, it generally does help because human beings. I'm not equating us to you know just. Pigeons hitting little discs, uh, you know, a la B.F. Skinner and whatnot. But we do. Our, our behavior changes based on the feedback we get about what we did and, or what we didn't do. So I, I absolutely agree that having that kind of feedback mechanism in place would make therapy more more effective. So in Depression Quest, important for the game mechanic, not really reflective of the actual experience of depression, but I wish it was. <laughs> okay. So... Of the 40,000 words that are I, – I haven't studied it this in-depth. I didn't write, write a paper on it. But of the 40,000 words, how many are seen by a player during a general playthrough? I don't have the numbers exactly on that, but I do okay. know there's something – I think there's eight different outcomes. So the, okay. And the, the branch – it branches extensively. So if I was to guess, I would say probably an eighth. Okay. 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 Again, because I'm the math guru and I'm just doing that on the fly. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but you, you see very, very little, which for a game is really great because then it adds to the replay value. Although yeah. I, I don't know a lot of people who went through and played Depression Quest more than once. And if you want a really interesting experience, go to Steam and read the comments that people oh, have yeah. left. 
Uh, about depression quest there there is one of two kinds there's someone saying oh man i played this game now i'm depressed it was free but i still want my money back so you're and the others are this isn't a game right is that what you're gonna say no i was gonna say the other there's quite a few that are along the lines of i have depression or i know somebody who has depression and this game has been super helpful and empowering so yeah the people saying this isn't a game is definitely on the far uh, it falls into that first bucket of, okay. uh, of haters, <laughs> but it's really yeah. it's really polarizing, and I think that speaks a lot to how we perceive mental health, uh, especially in a in a game space to tackle a, a serious topic in a in a public way like that. I think you see a lot of people responding to it those who those who have the experience and those who don't. Yeah, I think it's great to show people who have no idea what depression is what it is, because I think it's a really good intro to depression, right? Um, because there are certain things that are just hard to explain. I, you know, repeatedly in the game, it 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 has, it does this thing where with the options and as part of the story, people are telling you, do this, just get out of your funk, just get up already, yeah, just, just do it. Just, just and, feel better. Yeah, just feel better. Just just be not depressed, okay? Look, I fixed it for you. And that is a real experience of people who have a, uh, a very shitty support group, right? And, and unfortunately, I, that is such a common experience. So to be able to show this, that even though, yeah, I, I kind of hear you, but I can't right now. Like right now, I cannot. And until I get a little bit better, right? I cannot even see or possibly take those actions. And, you know, I've played through it a few times and I do like the that there is this progression that you you are getting a little bit better. And, you know, mental health treatment often is just very, very slow. And that's that's an unfortunate part of it, but it's the truth. It takes a little while to take these small steps but you're still moving forward. And those small steps can lead to, you know, other steps that will be more helpful for your situation at the moment. And sometimes you don't know what those steps are going to be. Like sometimes, you know, in the game, there are these pieces where you have this choice to either talk to somebody or or not, or just stay alone. And every time you, well, it depends who you talk to, too, right? It's not every time. But um, when I played it this morning, I talked to, I believe it's my brother. And... Afterwards, I kind of like leveled up a little, right, or, or or got a little less depressed because now I felt like I had someone who who understood me and who was backing me up and supportive. You know, somebody new was on my on my support team, and you know, you're building out that support system, and that was so helpful for me to be able to do other things later. And that's hard to just tell somebody. And doing it this way is again. I think I think it's great. I've never played another game about depression in particular that that kind of you know that I that I that I thought hey, I would definitely recommend this to somebody who doesn't seem to get it. I think that's a really good point. Talking about Depression Quest, I, it's not one of those games that I would want somebody who is depressed to play. So it's not necessarily a treatment game uh, if you want to think about it in that way. But what you described is is right on point. If you wanted to get across the experience of depression or even 
even just the thought process involved in depression. I think Depression Quest is a really good way to kind of let somebody take a look on the inside. I also think it's helpful for people who have had depression, uh, maybe who are not in an active state, I should put it that way. People who are not actively depressed, which is kind of an oxymoron. Um, but like if you've experienced depression or you know somebody who's been through it, it can be really validating to see that, hey, this is something that a lot of people go through. And it, you know, it's so impactful that somebody made a game about it. So there, there is that point, too. But it's, it's definitely not a treatment game in, in regards to somebody, you know, who is depressed and trying to get better. Um, I, I may, well, I don't want to put a blanket statement on that. I, I'm sure you might be able to use it in therapy. Um, but yeah, it's I might not, use it in family therapy, for example, and have yeah, parents that's or siblings a good way. play it. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. But it wouldn't be like, hey, go home and play this game and come back and tell me, you know, yeah, play it three times. Yes. Call me in the morning. Yeah, no. Um, but yeah, getting across the feeling or, or the thought process, I think, is really important. And again, we talked about the walls of text. You know, there's so much text and so much reading. And I remember playing the game and being bored at some points. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I also feel like that's kind of. I don't know if I'm giving too much credit, but I feel like that's almost the point because a, a lot of what depression is, is the absence of excitement, normal excitement, you know, being, having that energy to go and do something like take a shower or make your bed or walk the dog. So the idea of being bored and unstimulated and just kind of, I don't really want to keep playing because this is, ugh, that in itself, I feel like is a reflection of what it's like to be depressed. The ADHD version would just start blurring the text as you go down the, <laughs> the line and or start skipping along the page, like jumping back to the beginning or jumping right to the end. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the, you know, this, this just shows the ability of games to, you know, be used as tools to, to instill empathy. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm with you. It's hard. It's hard to get past all that text, but that's kind of, I mean, the more real you want the the story to be, the richer you want it to be um, when you're using something like Twine, right? It's, there is a lot of text. Like I've, I've, I've made games where I'm like, yeah, I need to cut some of this out. Like that, that wall of text is intimidating. Like, I don't know if I want to go through this again or, or go through this right now. Cause you get through the first one, you go to the second page and it doesn't feel like you've moved forward when there's just another wall of text waiting for you. Yeah, it is a little rough. Um, yeah, so as as a reflection of what it's like to have depression, I think it's great. As a game player, <laughs> I'm not. It wasn't super thrilling for me. I guess that, that's one way to put it. So I have an example of a different game, but I, I want to tie it to this. Is there anything else you want to say? I'll just bring it up now. So there, there is a game that I've played that does something similar in a much more interactive and fun way. <laughs> while still, deal, st- still dealing with a very serious topic. It's called Coming Out Simulator. Have you ever played it? No, I haven't. Okay, okay. So you got to check out Coming Out Simulator. It is uh, uh, Nikki Case, uh, game designer, made a game where it, you're, you're kind of having the same experience, um, but it's a retelling of this person's experience coming out to their parents and it has animations and it's all in speech bubbles. So it's kind of a conversation between you and the person and it's interactive. You have different options and there's different possible outcomes, only one of which is real. Actually, I used this as a, as a model to create a, a Twine game once where I took a personal experience of mine, retold it from my perspective and the other people who were there. I didn't know their perspective, but I kind of just put myself in their shoes 
and imagined what they were thinking during that situation made those two um, the initial paths uh, that you choose at the beginning. And then I played through every possible outcome. Um, every time I had a choice, I made uh, I, I wrote out my choice and then what I think would have happened if I made the other choice. Um, anyway, so I was inspired by this game called Coming Out Simulator. And um, it's Nikki's experience coming out to uh, his parents, coming out to um, different people. And again, it's when you play it, if you play it on your phone, for example, it just looks like a text conversation with animations in the back. So when it starts, he's sitting at a coffee shop. Um, the... Uh, later on, you see a family dinner, and you know it's a family dinner, so you see a little animation in the back, and you see the kind of the speech bubbles popping up along people's heads. So it's very much the same type of the very difficult situation to talk about. It's an interactive fiction game, and you're seeing a story being played out, but instead of just reading the text, it's it's, it's a lot easier to to get through. And I also apologize to Nikki for, for misuse of... Uh, the pronoun. I'm not sure which pronoun to use. I forgot when I read it. So I'm using he as default. But uh, that is a really cool example. You should check it out. And just so you can see a different way of of doing kind of this interactive uh, fiction piece. Yeah. I mean, Depression Quest is, is very literal in the fiction part. Again, it's, it's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure book. Whereas the game that you're describing, it definitely sounds more gameful, more playful. And the idea of having snippets of conversation, I think, make it more interesting and in that the, the game moves along faster. And I, another game, uh, Gone Home, I know got tons of rave reviews, but it's just a, it's really at, at its heart, just a game of clicking around and reading stuff. So we're really kind of exploring different ways of, of looking at difficult topics and games trying to find their space and how to do that effectively. And I know one of the toughest things when you're designing a game is if you're dealing with a serious topic, it's really hard to get away from the idea of having a quote unquote serious game. So for example, you know, uh, Depression Quest, it's quote unquote serious in that it's just text, everything is gray, it's very, very straightforward. Whereas if you had something that was more playful, I think there's concern that it would lose the message uh, that you're conveying, but obviously the, the coming out game that you were talking about, that's definitely more playful. But the one, the one that comes to mind for me is Papa and Yo, which mm-hmm. is a, a great game if you haven't played it. Um, it's made by Minority, and it's the idea that you're this this little boy and you're running through the city and you're solving puzzles and things like that. It's kind of a puzzle game. And you have this pet monster. But your pet monster eats poisonous frogs and every time he eats poisonous frogs he becomes aggressive towards you the player the little boy and as the game goes on you discover that it's an allegory for the game designer's uh, relationship with his alcoholic father when he was a kid so here's a game that's very playful it's fun to play separate from the message and to me that makes the message even more powerful like when you play depression quest you know exactly what's going on Whereas with Papa and Yo, I, I think it's more of that sucker punch to the gut that really drives home the emotional, uh, the emotional message, the emotional power uh, that games can deliver. See, every time I talk about Papa and Yo, I I feel like I need to bring up the fact that it it is fun, but it's also kind of clunky. Right? Well, it's it's not the smoothest thing in the world. 
Yeah, yeah, and 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 to get, I mean, even though the game, the opening shot of the game is you as a kid hiding in the closet from your alcoholic father, that doesn't really. I think it's hard for people to connect, or, or it's it's hard to make sense of what exactly the 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 metaphor is, right? What exactly it is that's going on, and you don't get the immediate. Um, I mean, you get confirmation of the poisonous frogs being um, alcohol towards the end when like they start flashing, right? And the 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 frogs turn into beer bottles, and then it's it's very obvious. And if you get to the the end, I think the message is incredible. I think that game. I love that game. I think it's it, it, it's unbelievable. But if I didn't if I didn't go into it looking for that ending, I don't know if I could get many people to to play it all the way to the end because right. it's it's actually a beautiful game, right? The, the favelas and the colors and everything. But as with a lot of games, I mean, you most people don't finish them, and and the payoff for for Papua New is really at the end. And I want to say maybe it's like a six or seven hour game. It's not, it's not a huge, huge um, game, but that's a long time to, to ask somebody to dedicate to a game. And especially like now it's, it's 2016. That game came out three or four years ago. You can play it on a PS3. You can play it on Steam. If you play it on Steam, it doesn't look like some newer games. You know, like it's not going to be it's not going to be timeless the way Depression Quest will be mm-hmm. or the way um, Coming Out Simulator will be. And you're right. Like, uh, for Papua New, it's it's kind of hidden, right? What's happening, it is all allegory. It is all, you know, symbolism. But it does it really well. And I, th- I still think that Depression Quest is better than reading a personal essay, right? Uh, it's still interactive in that sense. But as far as a, a game is concerned, I don't know. So, like, on, one, on the one hand, the wall of text is intimidating. It could push some people away. But at least you kind of know what you're getting yourself into. So if I did prescribe it to to a family member, I'm hoping that, you know, even if it took them a couple of days, they would get through it. But there are other games that I, I don't think I don't think they, they would. But but one thing, one thing that I think there's a really good um, opportunity right now is to use chatbots and um, – messenger programs to kind of have these interactive experiences. Like, um, I've played the new Mr. Robot game. Uh, have you heard it? Have you heard it? I know you haven't watched the show yet, but so there's a there's a game that came out for, for iOS uh, about Mr. Robot. And the it, it's kind of cool because when you download it, what it does is the idea is that you have a cell phone from a character. A character in the show lost their cell phone and you found it. And now you're having these chat conversations with people in the world and you have all these different threads and you have to go back between the threads as you get information from one or to the other. And the entire interface is as if you had a phone and your way of playing is actually through options in a text messaging uh, program. And we have – the other day I signed up for um, – what's it called? For renter's insurance – with a chatbot. I can't even talk to anybody. This chatbot walked me through the whole thing. And the whole app is built around, the whole company is built around this idea of having an AI um, kind of go through this this process with you. So I think that's a really good Wait, opportunity so you, to... you, this wasn't a game. You actually signed up for real insurance with a chatbot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I, just, called, I just, just wanted to make sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's called Lemonade. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I did it, right? But they kind of like, they eliminate, you know, they... They didn't 
fire a whole bunch of representatives. They never hired them to begin with, right? So that's why it's supposed to be cheaper, et cetera. It's, it's a startup. I thought it was really cool. And it was the first time I did anything that was kind of important with a chatbot, mm-hmm. you know? Like ordering a pizza isn't like something Whoa. incredibly important, Whoa. but I, I signed up for renter's insurance. Hey, hey, I listen. Ordering pizza, I know pizza. is incredibly I know. important. Depends when and why you're ordering that pizza. I agree. You live in New York City. I'm pretty sure you could get in trouble for saying that pizza is not necessarily important. Listen, I said ordering pizza through a chatbot is not uh, the kind of story I'm going to tell my grandchildren about my first experiences with AI. All right. But the renter's insurance one might be. <laughs> well, as far as the important decisions in chatbots, this is, I guess, a, a bit off topic, but you can register to vote through a chat a chatbot. Yeah, there's yeah, a, yeah. Yep. It's been going around around Twitter a little bit. And yeah, so there's... Anyway, that's totally off topic, but... Yeah, maybe if you try this episode. I mean, it's, it's, it's important. It's an important thing, like the most important yeah. thing you can do, so... Yep. But well, and, and again, my point is that Depression Quest is kind of timeless in that sense because it is interactive fiction. I think that just like we'll always be reading books in some way or, or blog posts or some sort of written something, I think that's kind of the the opportunity or the, the great thing about using interactive fiction. Again, I keep bringing up Twine because it's the one that I know. I don't know what uh, what Zoe and her team use to create. Oh, Twine. It is in Twine. Okay, yes. yeah. And, um, you know, because of the formatting and stuff, I know one of us is currently probably making a Twine game now. If you could get the formatting to look like text message bubbles, I mean, it makes it more relevant to now, you know. Um, and there's some cool stuff that you can do with it. But I think, I think Depression Quest is something that I will continue to show off or share with people for, for many, many years while something like, again, Papuano and even... Uh, Papa Nyo is on a mission, you know? Gone Home really isn't on a mission. Gone Home is like a two-hour, a cool two-hour experience that has some important themes in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, But the intention isn't necessarily to, you know, talk about certain issues. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to, to, you know, when you talk about serious games and... and I did quote, quote, air quotes when I said serious games um, because it's I, – I believe that games are sometimes useful at the moment, you know? Like I might – we might make a game that is very important today for someone right now. And I love the idea of maybe creating a game with a client that would help them through something or with something that they're going through. I think Depression Quest is a little uh, more universal in that it can it stands on its own. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to have to worry about the graphics going out of date or anything like that. And from a treatment perspective, you know, Twine is an engine that is pretty simple to use. Now, how they did it with Depression Quest was is a lot more complicated. But if you wanted to do a really basic choose-your-own-adventure, I could teach somebody how to do that in about five minutes. So if you've yeah. got somebody and you want to use you know, games and use Depression Quest as the example and then show them how to use Twine, I think that's, I think that's fantastic. I mean, there's a, there's a ton of really great uh, tools out there, but yeah, Twine's the one I'm, I'm most familiar with and people are doing some really, uh, really great stuff with it. Yeah. Yep. That's all I got, Kelly. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's probably going to do it for this episode. You know, we talked about Depression Quest and we talked about uh, a lot of different games that are being used as a platform to talk about mental health issues, which I think we're going to see a lot more of in the future. 
especially with you know the rise of indie devs and you're getting more voices being heard and we're in, I think we're going to see it more and more on major platforms and not just by indie developers as well. So hopefully yeah. and to be to be fair, we, I know that a lot of people are making games about really important topics and but it's just it's hard to it's hard to find out about them. So if you hear about any of them, please <laughs> send them our way because I'd love to check them out and and maybe someday make a list, you know, um, something where we can actually give maybe some critique on them, you know, and, and, and maybe think about when or, or why or where to we might see them being very helpful or useful. It's kind of it's kind of where my brain is all the time. So please send them my way. Yeah, there's a lot of people out there doing some really good work making games, and they're not even just professional developers. They can be kids and teens. And we actually got contacted by uh, a listener named Brendan. He works for the Office of Education in California, and he's working with a group of students to create games about uh, mental health issues. So I think they're actually getting ready to launch all of those games, and I'm super looking forward to seeing what they uh, what they come out with. So, Brendan, if you're listening, let us know. We're still really interested, and would love to see uh, what your what your students have have created, and maybe even do a podcast on all the awesome games that they came up with. Absolutely. That's going to do it for this episode of Headshots. We hope you guys enjoyed our deep dive into Depression Quest and other ways that games are bringing mental illness to the forefront and uh, in very different and unique ways. If you have uh, an experience with the Depression Quest or other game that resonated with you regarding a mental health issue, would love to hear about it. And, or if you've made a game, we'd love to, to know about it as well and we can share it with everybody else. And just in general, be sure to hit us up on Twitter, on Facebook, on uh, our homepage, Psych, not Psych Tech Podcast. It's Headshots Podcast, right? Yes. <laughs> or you can hit us up on our website, headshotspodcast.com. Let us know what you're reading, what you're thinking, what you're up to. We love hearing from our fans and get a shout out. So we will catch you guys in, in two weeks.